Welcome to the Modern Slavery Pack podcast. I am Jakub Sobik, I'm a communications director at the Modern Slavery and Human Rights Policy and Evidence Center. The Modern Slavery Pack was created to enhance understanding of modern slavery and transform the effectiveness of laws and policies designed to address it. We are funded and actively supported by the Arts and Humanities Research Council on behalf of UK Research and Innovation. Today is 18th of October, and that means it's Anti-Slavery Day. It's an opportunity to raise awareness of modern slavery and encourage government, business and the general population to take action to address the issue. The focus of this year's Anti-Slavery Day is on the importance of listening to people with lived experience of modern slavery. We at the Modern Slavery Pack think that developing new evidence that draws directly from lived experience of survivors is key to improving the policies designed to address modern slavery. This is why survivor involvement is one of our key principles for research, and we are working to implement this principle in all our work. But what does it mean to listen to survivors of modern slavery? What does it mean to meaningfully include them in research and policy? This is what we are going to talk about on today's podcast with our guests. Our guests are researchers working on the Modern Slavery Pack projects, aiming to identify the ways to improve various aspects of how support is being provided to adults and children with lived experience of modern slavery in the UK. But key element of their projects is that they are trying to work with people with lived experience, adults in the first case, and children and young people in the second, as those who are leading the research and make key decisions about it, from how it is designed to how the findings are communicated. So let's dive into this subject. In the first part, I will be talking to Professor Caroline Bradbury-Jones and Dr. Ming Dan about the work on mental well-being of adults. And in the second part, I am talking to Dr. Patricia Hines about her work she's doing with children. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Let me welcome our first guest today, Professor Caroline Bradbury-Jones from the University of Birmingham and Dr. Ming Dang from the University of Nottingham and the uh, Director of Survivor Alliance. Welcome to the Modern Slavery Pet Podcast. Uh, could we start maybe by introducing yourself and your work, uh, both that you're doing for the PEC and, uh, and, and beyond? Yeah, sure. Hi, thank you for having me and Carrie. Uh, my name is Min Deng and I'm originally from California, but now based in the UK. And I am the research fellow and lead in survivor scholarship and well-being at the University of Nottingham. And I am also director of the Survivor Alliance, which is a not-for-profit and we work to empower survivors of modern slavery to be leaders in the anti-trafficking and anti-slavery field. Over to you, Carrie. Thank you. And I'm Professor Caroline Carrie Bradbury-Jones. I'm based at the University of Birmingham in the UK. I am a professor of gender-based violence and health. And my own clinical background and my research background has been um, in the context of, of health. And over the last 10, 12 years or so, my research has focused 
principally on violence uh, and abuse and specifically concentrating on violence against women and girls and in a lot of different contexts, mostly uh, violence in the home, domestic violence, but as um, indicated in this particular podcast, also latterly concerned with the issue of modern slavery. And I co-lead this particular project with uh, Min. Yes, you are working on a modern slavery pack project examining mental well-being for survivors of modern slavery. Uh, I mean, under the UK law, survivors of modern slavery are entitled to assistance with psychological recovery. But actually, we know very little about how it works in practice. Could you tell us what the current situation is in that regard uh, for people who have been identified as survivors in terms of receiving psychological support and uh, what needs to be done? Yes. So psychological recovery is, is quite a broad term. And in the field of mental health, there are um, debates about what does recovery even mean or look like. There's a more medical approach. There's a more um, grassroots approach from people who identify with um, having mental illness or who might be service users. And so those, those issues carry over to survivors of modern slavery. As you said, it is an entitlement to people who receive services under the National Referral Mechanism who are um, suspected or confirmed survivors of modern slavery to provide material assistance. And unfortunately, there has been a lot of anecdotal evidence and also NGOs um, have done research to show that survivors are not actually getting their entitled support. So they may be referred, but there's significant wait times. um, The providers are not actually understanding of trauma. They might actually re-traumatize survivors or not even know about what modern slavery is. So there's a long way to go in even just um, having mental health providers be able to serve survivors. And then in addition to that, um, survivors are are having to wait a very long time to have access to support. Lastly, I'll just say that um, survivors actually might not be ready to engage with services in the time that they're available, because it can be very difficult to actually start to dig into and, and work with a therapist on severe trauma until you have some other things in place like housing, legal status, etc. So I think what needs to change and part of what our project addresses is um, one, a survivor informed perspective of what psychological recovery means or what um, what we're, we're going to talk about is mental well-being. And um, secondly, there needs to be really um, better implementation of, of people getting the services that they are entitled to. We're talking a few days before the Anti-Slavery Day, and this year's day is all about listening to people with lived experience of modern slavery. What does listening to people with lived experience mean to you? And we kind of talk about this meaningful inclusion of people with lived experience in research and policy and practice, and uh, what do you understand by that? Yes, so I think that listening to people with lived experience is to hear 
not just what we want to hear from survivors, but to actually hear what they want to share with us. So that might be um, that they don't want to tell about their trafficking experience. We know that survivors actually struggle with a lot after exiting situations of exploitation. So I think that we need to say, what do you want to tell us? What do you, what's most important to you? I also think that listening to Cyrus of Modern Slavery is about when and how. So making sure that lived experience expertise is utilized in program development, in policy recommendations, and not just for how to improve things, but allow survivors to consider themselves future leaders of this work. You know, what if to ask, what if you were leading the NRM? What if you were um, one of the service providers? What would you do? So I think being really creative about the types of questions that we ask so that we're hearing um, more than just the trauma narrative, because I think that that can get quite old for survivors as well as for the movement. That doesn't really change much or give us um, information to to push interventions forward. The key element of um, the project that you're working on is, is the inclusion of people uh, with lived experience uh, in research. And you're looking how uh, how it's done and what is the best way that it should be done in. Could you tell us how have people with lived experience been involved in research so far uh, and also what needs to change in that regard? Historically, people with lived experience and indeed um, just people, the public generally, have been researched and they have had research done to them rather than with them. And there's been a very changing landscape over the last 10 years in particular. And when it comes to researching with survivors, and specifically in this project, survivors of modern slavery, the, the impetus has been around working with survivors in, in um, relation to hearing their voice and having their voices heard. And there's an emphasis now on co-production, co-research, cooperation. So there's a very much at least a will towards a shared agenda and a shared working together on research projects, which is altogether seen to be a very positive thing. And indeed, it is a positive thing. And it's a positive way of undertaking research, particularly when that research is as complex and as sensitive as this particular project. But because it's so complex, it's not an easy thing to get right. So it's a way of practice that needs a lot of thought, a lot of consideration about the ethics involved, about the safety issues involved, and about getting it right in terms of not exacerbating, reproducing exploitation um, that could very easily be an outcome, an unwitting outcome of, of research if we don't get it right. So although we 
consider it to be a really positive and integral part of this particular project. We're all always keeping alert to the potential pitfalls or the way of making sure that we we undertake our project in the most sound, ethical and safe way. How exactly are you planning to involve survivors as peer researchers in this particular project so that they lead on the design and implementation of the project? Could you expand on that aspect of, of this work a little bit and talk a little bit about the like, specific considerations in relation to survivors of modern slavery and their inclusion in research? In this particular project, we are working with three peer researchers who are going to work with us, and the emphasis is on with, um, with us throughout the project. And already, for example, they've been instrumental in commenting on some of the key documents, so the ethics documents, for example, that we've prepared for the project, um, so that we can make sure that we have the language right um, and that the processes that we're embarking upon are safe and appropriate and that the language we use is again safe appropriate and respectful and their involvement will be with us throughout the, the project and Min can say something more about the details of that. Sure so we as Carrie mentioned the peer researchers will also contribute to literature review, data collection, data analysis, um, and actually even recruitment um, for additional survivor participants. And so they really get to upskill their own research skills and capacities. And we are super excited that this um, grant from the Modern Slavery PEC has enabled us to include the training of those peer researchers. And then because we're training our peer researchers, we have um, been allowed to open that training up to other survivors who want to become peer researchers and are and are involved in other research projects, not just this particular project that we're doing on mental well-being. I think it's also important to add that um, both the University of Birmingham professor Carrie and the University of Nottingham's Rights Lab have been quite supportive as me as a survivor scholar. So I am one of um, a handful of survivors of human trafficking, modern slavery. We won't get into the <laughs> definitional debate right now, but um, I'm one of the few survivors who actually have uh, a PhD and have been able to overcome the barriers uh, to access to education. And so I conceived of the project, um, you know, I've had a lot of support to envision it the way that I want to, to make sure that I am not the only survivor um, providing input into this. And, and my development of the project came from decades of both being a member of the community as well as being a practitioner with other survivors, seeing that psychological recovery, mental well-being, and um, and our involvement in research has not been the focus of the academy as well as the broader anti-slavery sector. So when you talk about survivor involvement from um, design to implementation, we are very excited that we will, um, we will have, and we're going, we're going to share our methods um, with the field about the fact that we will have included it 
really from inception of the idea all the way through to how we're going to share and disseminate our findings with the broader community. Oh, that sounds that sounds really good. I mean, at the Modern Slavery Pack, we also uh, and beyond, of course, we we also talking about uh, inclusion of um, of survivors in policy. We're talking about including survivors at policy making tables, and I think it's important to to talk a little bit uh, about the impact or, or kind of uh, potential impact on policy. What do you want the project to achieve in terms of changing? policies and, and the impact on, uh, on the policy conversation? Yeah, I think there's two things. So one, the um, statutory guidance for providing services to modern slavery survivors does not actually define psychological recovery. And we're hoping that we can just provide some insight into how survivors um, conceptualize their psychological needs. And it might not actually be through the concept of recovery. So this project is building a little bit on my PhD that looked at how um, survivors think about well-being. And well-being is much broader than recovery. And it's less rooted in a medical approach to healing. So I would like you know, just by introducing the concept of well-being, hopefully that will shape um, policymakers' approach to psychological recovery. Secondly, um, we're hoping to provide, you know, peer-reviewed evidence to inform implementation of the statutory um, entitlements. So, Although the guidance, the modern slavery statutory guidance has some recommendations, there isn't clear cut um, suggestions about what type of support survivors should get. And um, there isn't an evidence base for it. So I, you know, as someone who works in the NGO sector, I want to commend my colleagues who've done research from the NGO perspective. But we also know that sometimes governments want to see it be peer reviewed um, and done, you know, through a university um, setting. And so our evidence will be able to, to back up um, what our NGO, our third sector colleagues have said that survivors are, are, what is the actual access to this entitlement? Um, And so just providing some raw data to the status of survivors access to their entitlement, and then what they think their entitlement should be. Can I just say something about the fact that if if we go back to the fun, if we go back to the fundamental reasons why we engage in peer research research in the first place, or why we work with survivors in research, when it comes to impacting when it comes to impacting on policy. In a project like ours, where we have survivors as part of the research team, as peer researchers, how much stronger that evidence um, for policy and how much stronger the evidence for practice is when we have um, that survivor lived experience threaded throughout the project. And that's, that's a really powerful aspect of the project. And I think also the fact that we have this tripartite relationship almost where we have the academic researchers, the peer researchers and the modern slavery peck 
working together throughout this project in in communication with each other rather than leaving the impact and the implementation until after the project has finished. What's really interesting and powerful about this particular project is that we have that throughout, that whole process of, of communication, which is going to help with the impact on policy that Mim was talking about um, when we get to when we get to that stage. So it's that survivor focus, the survivor led um, that is going to help with the impacts on policy down the line. Thank you to our guests, Professor Caroline Bradbury-Jones from the University of Birmingham and Dr. Ming Dang from the University of Nottingham and the Director of Survivor Alliance. You can read about their project on our website at modernslaverepack.org and we will hopefully be hearing from them again about their findings when they conclude their project. Now it's time to talk to our next guest, Dr. Patricia Hines from the University of Bedfordshire about the aspects of meaningful inclusion that I think is sometimes neglected in conversations about the issue, and that is including children and young people in research and policy. We're talking about listening to people with lived experience of modern slavery and trafficking, about including them in research and policymaking in a meaningful way. But I feel quite often when we talk about it, we talk about adults and much less about children. So it's time to welcome our second guest today to talk about the need to include children and young people in research and policymaking on modern slavery and human trafficking. Dr. Patricia Hines from the University of Bedfordshire. Welcome to the Modern Slavery Podcast. Can I start by asking you to introduce yourself to our listeners and to talk a little bit about the work that you're doing in general? both with the Modern Slavery Pack and beyond. Absolutely. Um, hello, my name is Patricia Hines. I am currently a reader in forced migration at the University of Bedfordshire. And my work in the past has been really in two parts. I began as a practitioner working with people um, forced to migrate in post-conflict settings. And it's only in the last 20 years that I've been working as an academic focusing on forced migration and human rights, which includes the trafficking of adults, the trafficking of children and young people, questions around protection, advocacy and guardianship of children, as well as asylum seekers and refugees. Um, I've also done a little bit of work on trust and mistrust in humanitarian settings. Prior to this project that I'm working on currently with ECPAT UK, I have carried out research into the trafficking of children, um, independent child trafficking advocates, ICTAs, uh, which are now referred to as uh, guardians. And my most recent project was a four-country study, which sought to understand what makes people vulnerable to human trafficking from Albania, Vietnam and Nigeria, and the support needs of people from those countries in the UK. Thank you very much. I mean, today uh, we're talking about the need to listen to people affected by, by what we call modern slavery and human trafficking. Uh, we talk a lot about the general need to include people with lived experience in research and policy, but it seems that we don't really talk enough about it in relation to children. So I wanted to ask you, 
What does it mean to you to listen to children? I mean, it seems that when we do research on uh, involving children, we ask them, so we, we, we must listen. What does it mean to meaningfully include children in research and policy? Well, I think it's really important to listen to children in order to respond to their needs. Um, it's now quite widely accepted that research can be done and should be done directly with young people. Um, we've known this ever since the publication of the first worldwide study on all forms of violence against children um, by Paolo Pinero in 2006. I think it's not only because it's a good thing to do uh, to listen to children in research, but also to meet our commitments under the UN Convention on the Rights of the Child, which itself rests on principles of things like participation and the rights of children to be heard. Children do have the right to be heard and be part of research, but they're very often left out in almost entirely. Um, and I always question how we can address the needs of children and young people correctly if we do not talk to them about what these needs are. Um, generally, I subscribe to the idea that those closest to the issue may well have good solutions to their situations. And that is something that doesn't only apply to trafficking and doesn't only apply to children. But I think that's a, that's a good principle to work work with. Yeah, no, I certainly would agree with that. Um, I wanted to ask you about the current situation in research and policy in terms of children and young people being included. Why is there uh, a need to, to do the work that you do? And uh, what needs to change uh, in practical terms? Well, I think there's quite a few changes that, that need to happen. Um, and there's certainly some ground to cover to ensure that young people with lived experience are involved in research. I think it's not simply the case that people should be consulted at the end of research of a research project and then potentially rolled out to relay their experiences, which has happened somewhat in the past. Um, we need to move beyond tokenistic efforts, I think, of including children in research um, by developing projects that are truly participatory uh, in, a, in a meaningful way and are well considered um, from the start. I think uh, to be meaningful, projects really need to include people from the very beginning. Yes. But it must be uh, really challenging to include children from the very beginning in the design of the project, in the research questions, whatever it might be. I think it must be challenging uh, when it comes to adults, uh, working with adults as be researchers. Uh, but what are the specific challenges uh, when it comes to including children in a meaningful well, uh, way in research? Well, as you say, I think conducting research into any sensitive topic in an ethical way is never easy. Um, there's so many considerations around ensuring harm is not only minimised but actively avoided. Um, the problem in this context um, that we have in the UK currently for young people who have experienced human trafficking or exploitation um, is that harms are sometimes constructed through laws and policies. And I think you have to be very sensitive to that, the context in which they're, they're living in. Um, I think working with children and young people brings another layer of challenges quite often. Um, so it's vital to make sure harms are completely avoided. But also to flip this a little bit, there's a need to consider about 
how doing research can potentially bring benefits, which is not easy territory at all. And there's no easy reference guide about how to do this. But really keeping this balance between harm and benefits in sight is just really crucial when you're doing this type of work with young people. Um, we, we also have to remember that children and young people have active agency themselves. But currently in the UK, that agency is somewhat constrained by circumstances beyond their own control. But we should never forget the agency of young people themselves. And I think really a key challenge um, with work, including children and young people in research, is that they be- we begin with an, an unequal ground in terms of our rights and entitlements as researchers and the lack of some some of the rights and entitlements that we enjoy that young people are encountering and um, you know living living with currently. You work in together with ECPAT UK on uh, the Modern Slavery PEC research project to identify which outcomes are most important for young people with lived experience of modern slavery and human trafficking especially in the long term. So if you could talk a little bit about uh, this project, what it's uh, meant to achieve, and especially how you're planning to involve children and young people uh, in the project. Well, globally, I think the evidence is still developing about what works for which groups of children and young people and in what contexts. Um, In this project, we're hoping to co-create a research project or an arts-based project with young people in ECPAT UK's Young Persons Group. So we're working with an established group already um, who have been working together for some time, and um, therefore we were overcoming some of the barriers of people not knowing each other and potentially not trusting each other from the outset. Um, And in doing that, what we want to do is consider outcomes for young people who have experienced human trafficking and what pathways to potentially positive outcomes might look like. This will be um, considered within a participatory project. Uh, We're going to be working with these young people who have been through these experiences on this arts-based and potentially multimedia-based project to explore outcomes. We really want to facilitate and co-create the sort of freedom to create outputs such as podcasts and other art-based outputs that will allow young people the chance to sort of uh, speak for themselves if you like. The details are a little bit fuzzy at the moment because we haven't yet had the chance to talk to young people and we genuinely want this to be led by young people themselves which is the really exciting part of this particular project. Our first steps um, are involving an international scoping review on on what are outcomes generally for children, things around participation, inclusion, empowerment, protection and recovery. Um, And that's intended to capture the existing research-based evidence. But we're also excited about the idea of the global call for evidence through ECPAT network, which will capture the more practice-based evidence around similar themes within the um, literature review that we're doing. And the intention of doing these two things, the literature review and the global call for evidence, is to share the outputs of of these with young people to see 
if what we find in the literature and in the grey literature, etc., resonates with them and their own experiences to see if um, we're uh, capturing the right type of um, evidence as we, um, as we go forward. It strikes me, what's the most striking is, and is kind of most fascinating is when you say, I don't know what it's going to look like. And I think that you touch on a very key element of, uh, of uh, research that involves uh, adults or children or young people uh, in it from the position of, of leading and designing uh, the research in a way. Uh, and that must be a quite un uncomfortable position for a researcher, but it, it, it sounds like it just touches on the, on the essence of what meaningful inclusion uh, actually means. Well, I, I really hope so. Hope so. And I think it's quite difficult as a researcher to occupy ambiguous spaces because we're, we're always want, wanting to define things and say what things are. But I think in this type of participatory project, it's absolutely essential that you don't let um, your own preconceptions take over um, and just accept the tensions as they come up, really. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think the last question I wanted to ask is about how do you see, say, in five years' time, how do you see the meaningful inclusion of children uh, in research, but also in policy making, would look like? If you can try to kind of put your uh, imagination goggles on uh, and try to imagine what you would like the inclusion of children and young people to look like, say, in five or ten years' time. Well, I'll put my best case goggles on, I think. Um... Personally, I think it's it's really important to put children and young people's perspectives front and centre in terms of this research and future research, but also in, in terms of policy. And this is this project will attempt to do that. Um, in the UK, uh, legal policy and practice frameworks around the trafficking of children have been built up over time around multiple and that sometimes competing discourses that are quite often politically led and far from neutral. And this means that children and young people who have experienced um, human trafficking or exploitation have also experiences of care and support shaped by processes that are far from their actual needs or the realities of their lived experience quite often. The two do not run parallel with each other. Uh, very frequently. And I think it's this context um, that makes it really important to bring in the perspectives of children and young people themselves as a maybe a counterbalance to that um, fairly harsh reality. And I think this perspective has really been missing from anti-trafficking work in the UK. And it's really just time to change that. I couldn't agree more. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, our guest was Dr. Patricia Hines from the University of Bedfordshire. Good luck with your project and uh, we're looking forward to talking to you and hopefully some of the young people as well, maybe at the end of the project, but we definitely are looking forward to, to hearing back. Thank you very much. It's been nice talking to you. Big thank you to Dr. Patricia Hines from the University of Bedfordshire. You can read about her project on our website at modernslaveryimpact.org. Remember to sign up to our regular newsletter and follow us on social media, on Twitter at SlaveryPack and on LinkedIn just search for the Modern Slavery Pack. That's it for this Anti-Slavery Day episode of the Modern Slavery Pack podcast.
I hope you enjoyed the conversation and I hope that you can take something from it for your everyday work, whatever that might be. For this Anti-Slavery Day, let's stop for a moment and reflect on what we all, every one of us, can do to include people who went through the experience of being trapped and exploited in modern slavery. We at the Modern Slavery Pack will be doing that, and I hope that the research we will deliver in the future will be all the better and more impactful for it. Because that's what it's about, about improving the policies to better protect people from modern slavery. Thank you for listening to the Modern Slavery Pack podcast, and we will speak to you on the next one.